Hello, you are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a new podcast about the economics of trade policy. I am Samaya Keynes, economics and trade correspondent for The Economist, and my partner in podcasting is Chad Baum, senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics. This episode was recorded after rumours emerged that the Trump administration was planning a 301 investigation into Chinese trade practices. For full disclosure, it was recorded before it became official that it would actually happen, but we were so sure that they were going to do something that we went ahead and recorded anyway. Turns out we were right. So, in this episode, we tried to answer two questions. The investigation is into an alleged unfair Chinese trade practice. So when American companies work with Chinese ones, they complain that they have to hand over their technology in these forced technology transfers. So question number one is whether this is really a problem, in theory and in practice. Question number two is whether a 301 investigation is the right way to deal with it. Sneak preview, Chad does not think it is. He worries that it's basically the equivalent of chasing the schoolyard bully around the playground and hitting him with your lunchbox. Instead, what you should do is tell the teacher. In this case, that's the World Trade Organization. I hope you enjoy Trade Talks. Chad, hello. Hi. So how did you first become aware that something on trade might be coming? A tweet, an official statement, perhaps? Definitely not. Uh, As is my want in life at the moment, I was sitting quietly at my desk, typing away, and the telephone just started ringing off the hook. Uh, folks asking me, have you heard about this? Have you heard about this? And I had to say, what? Heard about what? Section 301. And it took me a moment to remember what Section 301 actually was. But no, there was no official statement. It was just the phone ringing, friends calling, asking me about the latest Trump trade policy developments. Oh, the drama in the life of a trade geek. So, Chad, once you remembered, what what is this 301, Section 301 of the Trade Act of 1974? Yeah. The, the basics of this is this is an unfair trade law where the way it works is the U.S. government accuses a trading partner of doing something wrong and unilaterally unilaterally threatens to retaliate against them. Okay, so that's a trade law against unfair things rather than the trade law being un- unfair in itself. That's right. So this law, the rumors were that they were going to launch an investigation into whether the Chinese had been doing something unfair with their trade policy. So the the gripe that was swirling in the press was that the Chinese regulators were forcing foreign companies to share their technology when they operated in the country. So just to give some context for this, if you are a foreign company and you want to operate in China, then you often have to go into a joint partnership with a Chinese company. That's kind of the rule. Now, there aren't formal rules that the companies then have to transfer their technology, but it does happen in practice. Uh, So, Chad, do you have some examples of this? Yeah. So there's been a number of uh, examples recently that have been being reported in the in the press, uh, including, you know, major U.S. exporting industries like semiconductors. You know, so the idea is the American companies have developed these, you know, super fast, cutting edge microchips circuits that, that are critical in you know, all the latest, greatest technologies that, um, that need to be used in, in computers and artificial intelligence and everything. And for companies that want to do business in China, the story is that you know, they have to share that technology with, with local Chinese firms. So semiconductors, and then you know, my other favorite example is, is automobiles. So my colleague here at Peterson, uh, Carolyn Freund, recently wrote about this, in which 
Western automobile companies, so you think GM, Ford, Toyota, you know, it's not just American companies, but European, Japanese companies as well. If they want to do business in China, they basically have to do a joint venture with a Chinese company. And these companies are frequently state-owned enterprises as well, so they're not necessarily private Chinese companies. And so that means potentially having to fork over, you know, not only your, your 1960s, 1980s technology about how to build a car, but potentially the you know 21st century technology as well about electric vehicles or potentially down the road autonomous vehicles, right? And so this is clearly what has these companies worried. But why would a company do this? Why would a foreign company just hand over their technology? Well, I think the big issue is they want access to the Chinese market. And so 1.3 billion Chinese customers out there, this is essentially the terms of the deal. Uh, if you want market access, you've got to figure out a way to transfer the technology or share the technology. And, you know, thus far, that's been a deal that a lot of these companies have been willing to make. So in exchange for the carrot of the Chinese market, essentially companies have just handed over their the crown jewels. Stepping back a bit, I, I see why this might be annoying for foreign companies operating in China. You know, maybe the Chinese company will steal their technology and then kick them out. Uh, but bigger picture, isn't this a good thing? I mean, China is has big economy, it's got a huge GDP, but per person, it's still fairly poor. Don't we want informa information sharing, technology transfer so that they can get richer and then maybe they can buy more Western stuff? Yeah, I think there's there's an argument that, you know, that the scale of the concern is a little bit overblown. Um, also, I think that there's a, you know, there's an economic development argument as well that this is, you know, this is good for certainly the Chinese economy. It, it helps them grow. But even stepping back and looking at it from, you know, the Western perspective, it's not clear that China doing this is really in their best interest, even in the long run, right? Because the technology is always evolving. And if China really does want to grow and further develop, it needs to develop its own indigenous culture to be able to do innovation and research and development. And if you're not protecting intellectual property, if you're, you know, forcing uh, folks to turn it over without getting adequately compensated for it, that discourages individuals from, you know, investing in research and development, investing in the skills necessary to do this. So it's not clear that even in, in that this is even in China's own long-term interest to pursue this kind of strategy. Okay, so maybe in the long run, China will realize, oh, you know, this isn't this isn't a good idea. In the short run, though, it does seem to think it's a good idea. It's got all these big strategies about how it's going to become world leaders in these technological industries. And the Trump administration is pretty worried, as is a lot of corporate America. Um, so why do you think the Trump administration is upset by this? So I think there's there's two main worries um, that rest at the heart of you know, the, the American concerns. The first is jobs. Uh, and the basic story there is whoever it is that has the technology, they get to choose where to put the jobs. So they get to choose where to do the production. And so currently, if these Western companies want to have access to the Chinese market, the Chinese government is forcing them to do the production locally. And that means Chinese jobs. And, and obviously, uh, Americans would like those jobs to be in the United States and to have these goods be exported to China instead. The second is really, I think, a fear. Uh, and this is the concern that China, uh, by getting this technology, uh, may not need these Western companies down the line. They may take these technological innovations, develop their own competing products, and then not only sell them in China, 
but figure out ways to sell them back into the U.S. market, into the European market, and become globally competitive, globally dominant, and have some sort of monopoly power. So I think there's a there's two-pronged fear there, both the jobs and, and the fear of these Chinese firms ultimately uh, taking away their market share in, in global markets as well. The uh, Trump administration is concerned about this, and they are determined to do something about it. So let's talk more about this Section 301 thing. Right. Okay, so how was it supposed to be used? This is law that, that hits your, hits another government um, if you don't like what they're doing. What was the original intention for this thing? Yeah, so this is an, another one of these uh, Cold War laws of the United States. So this is a, a law from 1974. And the original law was you know, fairly well-intentioned. It was designed to help U.S. exporting companies, U.S. exporting companies, their workers, that were shut out of foreign markets because trading partners were doing things that were unfair. Um, and so this law became really famous or infamous, perhaps, in the 1980s when it was used by the Reagan administration. Uh, and so my favorite example is a, a case from uh, the mid-1980s in which the Reagan administration Again, worried about semiconductors, but this time the target was Japan. Similar kind of story. Japan wasn't using tariffs or quotas or formal trade barriers to stop uh, U.S. semiconductors from entering into their market, but they had some sort of vague or nebulous system that was preventing American sales. Well, the Reagan administration under this law uh, threatened Japan and said, basically, if you you don't open up, if you don't buy more of our semiconductors, we're going to retaliate against you. We're going to unilaterally retaliate against you. So this example, I think, is 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 interesting. It first of all, it led to a, a, a relatively high-profile semiconductor agreement between the United States and Japan at the time. But second, there was also this concern that the Japanese industry really didn't want to buy too many of these American semiconductors, even if the Japanese government sort of made the deal and said that they would. So there's this famous story of the Japanese government not knowing what to do with these semiconductors from America that the Japanese industry didn't really want ended up throwing some of them into Tokyo Bay uh, and not really getting the best use out of them. So, Unintended consequences Unintended. of doing a bad deal. <laughs> um, okay, so I guess the parallel with that example today might be that you know maybe the Trump administration thinks that if it threatens the Chinese, it will manage to squeeze out some deal with the Chinese where they promise to relax the technology transfer requirements even though they're not kind of formally codified or... Maybe full Trumpian, the Chinese just agree to buy more stuff from America. Robert Lighthizer, who is the current U.S. trade representative, was actually in the Reagan administration. He helped to uh, he helped to negotiate that deal on semiconductors, which is one of the reasons I think, you know, we're going to see some pretty strong parallels. And you can kind of see their reasoning. So America is really big. Why shouldn't it use its economic clout to threaten the Chinese and get better terms for its companies? But, Chad, I am, I'm fairly sure uh, that you do not think this is a good idea. So would you like to explain why? You know me well by now. Uh, so I think that this Section 301 law may have made some sense to use in the 1980s. But the main reason why is because we didn't have a current institution in existence back in the 1980s called the World Trade Organization. And so let me let me explain. I think there's two main parts to this to this argument. The first is in the 1980s a lot of what the United States was complaining about wasn't actually covered by any trade agreements in place at the time. So the only trade agreement we really had back then was an agreement covering trade in goods. We didn't have any rules for 
intellectual property rights enforcement. So protecting patents or copyrights or trademarks, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, trade secrets of companies. We didn't have any rules on foreign investment or trade in services, any of this kind of stuff. So what Americans were worried about at the time was our industries that were heavily involved in those types of sectors not being protected by existing trade agreement rules. So I think that's one major difference. The second is we didn't have a dispute settlement system in place at the time to deal with grievances that American companies or the American government would have. Uh, there was a dispute settlement system in place, but it was incredibly ineffective. But all that's changed. We actually now do have a trade dispute system in place um, that, can, that can deal with these types of issues. So to my mind, uh, this Section 301 approach of the 1980s is just extraordinarily outdated and is not the way to go. Now we have the WTO. Presumably, in Chad's ideal world, what America would do is say, hey, China, there are rules on this thing. You're breaking the rules. We're going to take you to court. And then if the WTO finds that China is in the wrong, America will be allowed to impose some kind of you know, tariff on, on Chinese goods within that system legally. So do you think that the Trump administration should just use the World Trade Organization, just, just start a dispute? There are rules against forced technology transfer in there, aren't there? So my initial answer to that would be yes. Um, so I don't think that uh, Ambassador Lighthizer has made the case that there aren't rules in place under the WTO that you couldn't use the dispute settlement process of the WTO to basically pursue the U.S.'s issues. If there are, I'd like to hear what those, what those arguments actually are. Uh, and even if there aren't you know, specific rules uh, there is kind of a catch-all provision of WTO dispute settlement, which is essentially that you know even if we haven't written down a thou shalt not X in a particular area, there is a catch-all area of the WTO where you can bring disputes and say, you know what, the, the benefits that I was expecting to receive under this agreement, they've been frustrated by some other unforeseen policy. So all this is state in my mind, you know, we should pursue the WTO approach. And if we're not going to, it needs to be made more clear why it is that we're not going to. Okay, so Chad Goody Two Shoes Bound wants to, you know, go to their mistress and, and complain under the rules because they're being broken. The WTO is really, really slow. Disputes take a really long time. I can kind of understand frustration with getting this stuff sorted out. So do you not have a better reason why they shouldn't go to the shouldn't use a three oh one? So I don't know if it's a better reason, but I can get, try to give you a second reason. Second reason maybe is is politics, right? So certainly once the United States starts to use this Section 301 law and policy and starts unilaterally threatening China, and if it ultimately imposes tariffs against China, then all of a sudden the focus of the dispute switches from what China's been doing wrong, which is the forced technology transfer and forcing Western companies to produce locally within China, and it focuses attention on what the Trump administration is doing wrong and how they're not necessarily following the rules. And that, I think, is a big concern to me. Okay. And the reason why there would be this big uproar, why all the attention would go to Trump, is because uh, using this 301 could be illegal under WTO law. So just the act of using this thing could actually break the WTO rules. So there was this case in the late 1990s where the Europeans took America to court saying this 301 thing is actually inconsistent with what you've agreed to under the WTO. And and at the time, uh, the Americans said, oh, no, don't worry, we'll only use it consistently with our WTO obligations. 
And so I guess the worry is that if Trump uses this thing, then that would be breaking that earlier promise. And then everyone else would get super, super angry that America was in effect uh, walking away from the WTO. Well, not walking away from it, just really straining the fabric, um, kind of tugging on this rules based system. Yeah, I I think that's right. Um, You know, there was this implicit agreement at the time that, you know, we didn't have to revoke the law in the United States. We didn't have to get rid of Section 301, but we really wouldn't use it like we had used it in the past to unilaterally take actions into our own hands. But all that being said, I think there probably is some truth to the argument that the current WTO rules aren't enough, that that some of what China is doing, um, it can't and shouldn't do, and we might need, you know, some way to to deal with that more effectively. In Chad's ideal trade world, what would happen? What would the ideal solution be? There should be this WTO dispute, but, you know, that's only an intermediate solution. So I dream uh, of a of a bigger deal between the United States and China and really, you know, all all the major traders of the world. So this isn't just a bilateral issue between the U.S. and China, but, you know, Europe and Japan and everybody else should be worried about it as well. You know, on these bigger questions about rules, uh, you know, how it is that, that companies can get along uh, and potentially investment. But I think at the moment, that really is just a dream. There's no whiff coming out of the Trump administration, certainly that they're willing to engage with China in a bigger process about negotiations and rulemaking. Beware, listeners, if you think too much about trade, you will start dreaming about it. And you'll also start, your dreams will be filled with rules. So be warned. (laughs) In summary, there is potentially a problem with China forcing foreign companies to hand over their technology, although it might not help them in the long run. But the way of dealing with that should not be to return to the aggressive unilateralism of the 1980s with a 301 case. Instead, one should go for better rules, a la the dreams of Chad. Is there anything you would like to add to that? Well, just that if you hope to be a trade policy geek, don't turn off your phone. And also (laughs) don't throw away your old books about 1980s trade policy either. I think we're going to be seeing a definite return to what happened in that era. Thank you, Chad. I think that is all for Trade Talks. I think so too. You can now subscribe to Trade Talks on iTunes, Google Play, or however you get your podcasts. Please do leave us a review if you enjoyed it. It really, really helps other people find the show. And if you want to give us feedback or even suggestions for future episodes, do tweet at us at at Samaya Keynes. You can reach Chad at at Chad Bown, Or you can tweet at at trade underscore underscore talks.